Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back on a Tuesday. OutKick 360 is live from our 6th and Peabody studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer in downtown Nashville. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. Jonathan Hutton. Well deserved a week off of vacation. We've got a big show planned for today. A lot of things going on in the world of college football recruiting. Uh, some of them may be financially induced, some of them not, depending on which SEC coach you listen to, whether it be Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher. We're going to talk to Mike Farrell about a lot of things around college football recruiting, including Arch Manning, coming up in about 15 minutes. A little bit later in the show, John McClain will join us for his weekly hit as we talk NFL. And at 420, Charlotte head coach Will Healy will join us uh, to talk about, Paul, something we really haven't spent a lot of time, I don't think anybody has, with all this conference realignment. That is, what happens to those group of five schools that probably aren't going to be making a jump to a bigger conference? Do they get left behind? How are they preparing for that day? So looking forward to all those conversations today. How are you? How was your night? It's a good idea. Um, I had a good night featuring the – Excellent episode oh, of Better good. Call Saul that I thought, uh, I don't think it's given away much, was the most fraught, um, actually scary episode in the whole Breaking Bad Better Call Saul catalog. I, I was edge of my seat and actually scared for much of this episode. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're a fan, get, get to work on this. I'm sorry we weren't watching it roughly in sync to be able to talk about it that way. And we talked about it a little bit here, but we got a couple of guys who are slackers <laughs> who, are, who are behind. I think if well, the talent slackers, wants to were, talk about, working. I think if the talent wants to talk about the show, people should either GTFO or suffer the consequences. Well, we got, we got too far in was the problem. Like I didn't know that they even watched the show or cared about no, it. I mean, but we were, just like, all, ah! we were 75% of the way through the plot. And then Corey steps up and says, please be quiet. No spoilers. I haven't seen them. I didn't even know you were a Breaking Bad fan. Yeah, no, I didn't. Either. I wouldn't have said a word had I known you didn't see it. But um, trust me, guys, it's still worth watching, even though we gave uh, the, away the entire I, plot. Uh, also, it was a classic episode. Also, Chad, I'm very uplifted, and you know this. I've spoken passionately about my love of the things that NASA does. So, like when the Explorer got close to Pluto, I pined about how amazing it was that technologically we're able to do something about they, these pictures. I don't know if you've seen them from the web telescope are unbelievable. And they say this, this one, the, the first one is comparable to a grain of sand in between your, your fingers held at arm's length from you. That's what you're seeing in terms of, of like space. And it, it's a, a shot of 4.6 billion years ago in terms of the light, that we're seeing that's just incomprehensible to me that we can see a grain of sand picture of space 4.6 billion years ago i'm fascinated by it i can't read enough about it i can't read enough about the breakdown of the the pictures the four shots 
And uh, one of the best TV documentaries I ever saw was about the Hubble telescope, which was initially botched. And we had to send a space shuttle mission up there where we fixed the mirror that was broken. And it was a massive accomplishment. We got so much information from the Hubble telescope. And now this telescope is like infinitesimal, just gigantically better than the Hubble telescope. I'm fascinated by it. Space is hot right now. There's no doubt about it. The last five or ten years, space, TV shows, documentaries, what I think is one of the best shows on TV now for all mankind. Love it. It's very much about space. One big fear I have about for all mankind, this is no spoiler for those that have not watched the show. You watch it, Paul. Religious. And I, th- I think we're both relatively caught up. Maybe I'm I'm, caught I up. might be one episode behind uh, waiting on Angie to watch that episode. I fear, though, we're headed into alien territory on this show. Mm. I fear this is going to become an alien show at some point. That's the next universe they're going to cross as they head to Mars. And they on go decade by decade. So what's the decade after Mars? It's pretty much decade it's by gonna decade, be, right? Yeah, it's going to be you know early 2000s, mid-2000s. Mid-aughts will be the next season of the show, I'm guessing, if they continue with the seven, eight-year time jump by the end of all of them. Um I don't want to, you know, leave you with nothing but happy feelings today, Paul. So, oh, that's all right. There's a story that's going to make you angry, and it's that of Scottie Pippen, and how we apparently have been saying Scottie Pippen's name incorrectly no, no, for his entire career. We're saying it fine. We're spelling it wrong. Spelling it wrong. Sorry, not saying it incorrectly. Scottie Pippen, widely known as Scottie with an I E, but apparently Scottie Pippen's son, Scottie Pippen Jr., former Vanderbilt with player, a y. now a Los Angeles Laker, who spells it Scottie with a Y has it correct because it's his dad's name. But his dad never bothered he's, telling anyone that it's Scotty a with a Y. So he was asked why it's spelled with a Y. He, he was said, on ESPN Summer League with game, the y. and he clarified. They said, I notice your name's with a Y. That's, that's different from Scotty Sr. And he said, no, that's my dad's name. It's with a Y also. It's exactly the same. I'm a junior. And then uh, the reporter was saying, well, this is blowing my mind. Am I breaking news right now? About this? And he said, I, I mean, I guess that's that's his name. It's Scotty so, with a Y. Was Junior's name spelled I-E at Vanderbilt? Uh, I don't. Let me look it I up. Feel I feel like it was. So. Did Vandy get it wrong also with I, the son? I don't know. I, there's so much potential guilt here. I mean, if Scotty I-E Senior's name was spelled wrong throughout his career, where did he play? Arkansas State? I'm on the Vanderbilt official athletic website, and it is spelled – now, maybe they've changed this since last night, but it's spelled with a Y. It is spelled Scotty Pippen Jr. with a Y. All right, so we're somewhat at fault for not putting this together, but he wasn't called Junior, so we didn't know necessarily that he was a junior. We thought his dad modernized or altered his name. Who cares? Like, here's my thing with Y or I-E. The only people who should care – is the person that it's their name. Like, if, if your name is Stephen, I've got a brother named Stephen with a PH, he should care if someone spells his name Stephen with a V. But outside of that, no one's going to bother to care if no. you don't care. So A pronunciation would be I different. I mean, Paul, you say that I should have been, you know, we should have seen that, that it was different. I wouldn't know. Because I see Scottie Pippen, I normally see IE, but I'm not really looking for that. I know how to say Scottie Pippen, right. but I'm not looking for Y or IE because... If they don't care enough to correct someone on it and get it right, then I don't care. All right. I'm taking it down as a, as a reporter. I'm taking it from his locker plate. I'm taking it from vo- what Vandy has written down on their roster. I'm taking it from Scottie Pippen's college and then his, his pro team. Where did he go to college? Scottie Pippen Jr. Senior. Uh, senior went to Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas. I said Arkansas State. That's too big. Um, 
Yeah, he went. To, it was an NAI school. Look, this kills him to me as a person of any intelligence. If they're spelling your name wrong at college, and then as you're drafted into the pros, and then as you build a career that makes you one of the 50 greatest players of all time, I don't see how you don't care about how your name's spelled. Like, doesn't this bother your parents along the way? They named you something. This thing, and, we, and people go further with this to mispronunciations that they correct years later. I, anybody that doesn't care about their name being misspelled for years or their name being mispronounced for years is an idiot. I, I am anti-stupidity. If you don't care about this misspelling or mispronunciation of your name for years, you go way down in my thinking of you. Way down. Here's the slide. You go, whoop, way down. You're an idiot. <laughs> it's, it's completely stupid. How do you not care? If somebody spelled my name P-A-I-U-L, I would say something about it immediately. Hey, look, typo. It's wrong here. I, I wouldn't say, uh, who, who cares? I'll just, I'll just leave it. I'd love this to is a them. meekness that is a terrible quality. Well, I'd love to give him the benefit of the doubt and say maybe he's just exceptionally humble. But we know he's not based on the documentary and based on the way he acted over the course of the documentary and over the course of his career, that he has an ego. I mean, Scottie Pippen definitely has an ego based on the last dance in that 98 season and what he was doing with the Bulls the entire time. So it's a very strange story. But people at least will say, now we know. People say, let Scotty be Scotty. And I'll say, well, Scotty... With a Y or Scotty with an IE? Which one am I letting him be? Because his parents determined that he was one. And apparently uh, Central Arkansas State or whatever the hell it is, or maybe his high school before that, it let him be another. Um, the double I'm probably going to go into dangerous territory here with a lot of people, but uh, you know, if you listen to our old show that we, you know, we've been on for a decade, um, I don't like the name Ricky at no, all. You don't. I, you I also don't, don't like the name Chad, just to I, be fair Yes, to for those that are going to tweet now and say, well, your name's Chad, so what are you saying? Yeah, it's a terrible name also. I, I fully Did you ever that. think about taking on another name? I don't like, I don't like, um, we've got one here right now, Davey. I don't necessarily like any name that it's left up for interpretation at the end of the name is spelled. I agree with that entirely. I don't like, and I don't your like name names. should not be spelled is with it, an E. Is it's it like terrible. Davey Crockett, just D-A-V-Y, or is it Davey with it? But Ricky, is it Ricky Fowler with an I-E at the end? Ricky with a Y? I don't like names that could either be Y or I-E at the end. And I'm pretty universal on that. Vicky, get GTFO. Get I don't, it out of here. I, I don't, don't like, like those names. I don't like names that are extended so, or shortened. I, I Simon, we named my son Simon because pretty much that's the name. There's one spelling of Chad. As much as the name may suck, there's one spelling. No one's ever confused the name Chad. And it's not shortened or lengthened. how you spell it. Now, my Chatty. last name is another story. People want to add an Winthrow. N in there for whatever reason to make it Winthrow. And that, when I respond to them and said that's not right, they say, well, I don't know any Withrows. And my response is, well, do you know any Winthrows? Because I don't. So where does that's not like a common you have name to either. Know another person of well, the name like, oh, in order for the name it was to exist. Because you know I don't know Kuharskis? any Winthrows. And I'm like, who knows a Winthrow? Did you ever think at your, your bottom of your feeling about Chad of taking on a, another name? Is your middle name Thomas? Yeah. Did you ever think about becoming no. Tom or Thomas? No. And attribute to, to dad? Never thought about it, honestly. No? I, got, I would like to joke around and say my full name was Chadwick, you know, when I was in high school. Yeah. Ch Chadillac. 
Chattelock. John, John McClain goes to Chattelock. The yeah. worst, the single worst thing is a C. Thomas, a first initial middle name. Like C. Thomas Howell? That's the worst. Well, if I was going to be an author, you know, and write books, I would go with C. Thomas Withrow. That's the worst. But that also sounds way smarter That's than Chad Withrow. It doesn't sound smart. If my name suddenly like became C. Thomas Withrow, I would be looked at as way smarter. Way more important. Put a bow tie on. As I'd soon finally, as you do that, just put a bow I'd tie on. I'd finally get some damn respect in the studio if I came in one day. It's like, guys, guess what? My name is C. Thomas Withrow As now. you took off your, uh, Chad your fancy hat and uh, straightened out your bow tie, C. Yes. Thomas. Yes. It's terrible. If I ever write a book, I'm changing my name to C. Thomas Withrow. Not a lot. Um, Tiger Woods has spoken out against players who left for the Live Tour. And it's, it's from a different uh, – it's a different criticism, I think, than we've heard from most. Some people have pointed this out, but I was interested because Tiger Woods has not gone that hard at the people who left yet. But now at the British Open, as he gets ready to, to take on the course at St. Andrews, uh, he said, and I quote, the players who have chosen to go to live and to play there, I disagree with it. I think that what they've done is they've turned their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. This from Tiger's, Tiger Woods. What these players are doing for guaranteed money, what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? You're just getting paid a lot of money up front and playing a few events and playing 54 holes. They're playing blaring music and they have all these atmospheres that are different. This is an interesting criticism from Tiger Woods. Now, I completely understand that Tiger Woods has made more money on tour than anyone in history. So someone come back and criticize and say, who are you to talk about money if someone wants to go get guaranteed money and doesn't have to earn it? Well, he or earned when it the hard way, way is it. what he's saying. He earned earn it, it the in the tournaments. And, and look, he got, you know, he's also received a ton of money in, in sponsorship dollars as well. But I get what he's saying. I mean, if you want to criticize and say, these guys flat out aren't competitors. I mean, what they've done is they've taken a guaranteed payday and they can do that. You know, they can go take all the money they want, but they clearly don't want to compete. That's essentially what Tiger Woods is saying. Well, it fits perfectly in line with what he's said previously about the legacy of it and the history of it and him believing firmly in, you know, you kind of earn your way, you go to the majors, um, and you leave your, your mark. And the goal of the whole thing is to, to measure yourselves against the, the all-time greats and, and the current greats. Um, and this doesn't fit the, the work ethic of the way he came up to do that. And that they're, you know, no matter how long live goes, it's not going to really be about that in the, in the same way. And so he just took it to another level. You know, he, he, there is no incentive for these guys to be out on the range. Uh, you know, and if you're leading this through a round or two, are you really hell-bent? What is the incentive on being hell-bent to go out and win? There is it's no not incentive. The, it's not the same because the difference between first and fourth is not going to make or break you um, the way on the PGA Tour. It's not so much uh, the, the money, though the money is, might make or break you, but the legacy stuff is, is what a lot of guys means to a lot of people. Um, and so I, I like what he had to say, and I, I'm on his side in this thing, and maybe that makes us old school. But I, I like the phrase, earn it in the dirt, that he used. And this is very – Tiger Woods is different. I mean, you know, you, you put that handful of 
greats all time, you know, when you mix them into a bag and say, these dudes are different. Michael Jordan's different. Tiger Woods is definitely one of those different guys. I completely believe and buy into everything he's saying right here. Now, the human nature side of me also says, Chad, if you were put with this, not even necessarily moral dilemma, but this, hey, here is a boatload of cash to do very little work, and you are set, and your family's set for the rest of your life, would I say no to that? I don't know. Um, if I'm Tiger Woods, I say no to it because I've already won so much and earned it and I've made so much money. Or even a young Tiger Woods because you're good yeah, look, and you know what's and, ahead and that's, of you. You know, it's, it's one thing. It's easy for someone who's made as much money as I have to say, when is enough enough for these super rich golfers, right? It's another thing when Tiger Woods says it, who has more money or had more money than most of these guys, you know, before this payday. And as much talent. I completely buy what he's saying, though. He's right. These guys are taking a paycheck in part because they can take the paycheck and not have to earn it anymore the rest of their career. Help me remember. Have any of the live guys just said that? Have they just said that? Listen, this this is making my life easier. It's less work and more pay. And no, I don't have to grind in the dirt the, the way I had to at a previous stage of my career. And you'd do the same, I bet. Somebody should say that and see what the reaction is to that instead of trying to, to, to make up for it, to scratch out an excuse on the moral ground or to win on the moral ground, which they're not going to do, or any of that. Somebody should counter it with it. Well, this is, to me, this is the most compelling argument that I've heard about this from a guy like Tiger Woods in that these guys, essentially, I'm, I'm boiling it down here, these guys aren't competitors. They're not going to win on tour anymore. They feel like they're not going to win much on tour. And they took the easy way out. They took a big paycheck. And he also started by saying, I don't really get it. They're playing 54 holes. I don't really understand the team concept of it. It's guaranteed money. So what's the real incentive here when they get that payday? I mean, I, I completely understand where Tiger Woods is coming from. Well, let's extrapolate that But I think we also all out. understand why someone would take that much money guaranteed to do that little work. Yeah, let's extrapolate out what he's saying because I think it's important. It's not going to lead to better golf. That tour is going to have ultimately lesser golf because you're not driven to practice and you're not driven to win. We're on the PGA Tour, uh, and for the majors, you're driven to try to win. You're driven to try to get better. So the PGA out of that framework, is going to continue to have the better golf, the golfers who are growing. And they can take, Liv can take better golfers, but those better golfers, even the younger ones, then I, I would take out of this framework are not going to continue to grow. Yeah. And the PGA I, I, guys filling the void are going to continue to grow. 100%. And what's going to be the better, more compelling product? I would think it's going to be the PGA with guys who are compelled to grow and work. Yeah, look, if you want to make the argument that this will ultimately make the game and the sport better because it will bend the PGA a bit to do more things, to open up more opportunities for players, okay, you can make that argument. But I think it's very difficult to make the argument that the Live Tour is going to somehow accelerate the game of golf globally because of what the Live Tour is doing. Because of the live tour, because the players on it, because of the way they're playing the game, all of that. I think that's a tough argument to make. Tiger also said about Greg Norman not being invited as a two-time British Open champion to pre-tournament festivities. 
He said, quote, I believe it's the right thing. The RNA obviously have their opinions and their rulings and their decision. Greg has done some things that I don't think is in the best interest of our game, and we're coming back to probably the most historic and traditional place in our sport. And he is big. Tiger Woods is big on guys being on back, defending champions being back, all-time greats being back. So that's really saying something for him. That's a real that's, departure. That's a real live has crossed us. But notice how smart Tiger was. Again, I, I like these criticisms because he didn't step into that you know, hypocrisy of Saudi Arabia knowing there are other business dealings he's probably involved with that involve Saudi Arabia, he hit at the heart of competitive nature and what's not good for the game and said, Greg Norman and the British Open, the people there believe he has done things to harm the game. So they didn't invite him, and I agree with it. I, I think some, some interesting points well made done, by man. Tiger Woods, no doubt about it. Uh, Mike Farrell makes some interesting points. He is one of the godfathers of college football recruiting coverage. Mike Farrell will join us next to talk all things college football and recruiting. It's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. And we're back on Outkick 360 live downtown Nashville, our 6th and Peabody studios alongside Paul Kuharski. I'm Chad Withrow. Some good college football talk coming your way right now. Mike Farrell has been a staple in college football recruiting coverage for years and years. He's got his own website now. MikeFarrellSports.com, kind enough to join us today to talk about a number of issues around the sport of college football. Mike, how are you today, man? Thanks for hopping on with us. I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. I, I want to start with uh, the Farrell Sports projection. And I was looking through this. This is not just team projection necessarily, but you've got individual players across the sport and what you're anticipating this year. To tell us how you came up with this, this metric for trying to rate what's going to happen this upcoming season. Yeah, I got with a math guy, um, you know, uh, in, in math, his Twitter handles math bomb. I saw what he was doing with some analytics in regards to the NFL combine. And I always thought there was a place for projection of statistics to next season. Um, you know, fantasy football is big for the NFL, not as big for college football, but uh, I found a curious, 
you know, if we could dive into the numbers and figure out what we can expect from each player, at least from the offensive skill positions. And, uh, you know, we, we tweaked the numbers for a few months. He came up with the mathematical equation uh, based on how that particular position plays out at that school for the last five or six years. And then <clears throat> there's an individual uh, modifier that I could put in based on transfers, uh, offensive coordinator, all this other stuff. So, you know, we released the first one yesterday with Bryce Young projected to have 51 touchdowns passing, eight picks, uh, 69.77 completion range, which, which is a little bit lower than a lot of people would expect. Um, and it's really fun. I mean, it's not going to be accurate um, unless it's accurate, but it's <laughs> it's fun to speculate as to who's going to do what and, you know, where the modifiers are for Alabama when it comes to their number one wide receiver. You know, you're not going to have a Jamison Williams or a Devontae Smith, you don't think. Um, you know, so where does Jermaine Burton, Ja'Cory Brooks, Tyler Harrell, where do they fit in in Alabama? And do this for every Power Five and Group of Five schools. So it's been a project we've been working on for a long time. Look forward to seeing how some of that stuff pans out. You've gotten a lot of recent attention for your thinking about Arch Arch Manning. Spell it spell it out for us. Well, listen. Somebody asked me my opinion, and I gave it to them. Um, you know, I was I was on a podcast uh, yesterday, and you know, I was asked, and I've been asked a billion times. You know, Arch Manning is one of the most hyped quarterbacks ever in, in you know high school football, and. Is he overrated and can he live up to the hype? And and the answer is simply he's he can't live up to the hype, first of all, because the hype is so ridiculous. I mean, this is Ron Paulus, uh, you know, winning multiple Heismans or, you know, Jimmy Clausen being the LeBron James of high school football, on and on. Um, and and in comparing him to many other quarterbacks that I've seen over the years with such hype, you know, he he at this point doesn't stack up. Now he's going into his senior year. But I just said, I mean, if you sent this film under someone else's name, you'd probably come away with a three-star ranking and everybody freaked out. So I guess my follow-up question that would be, how do you rate lineage with, with an athlete? You know, if you're looking at a prospect and you see, okay, this guy's dad was this person or his uncle was this person or he's from this family of, doesn't have to be quarterbacks, doesn't have to be the Manning family necessarily, but of edge rushers, of defensive backs, and you see the physical traits that are there, but they're not quite there yet as a high school prospect, does that factor into your evaluation of a player? Because certainly, while I think Arch Manning's a really great prospect, yes, the, the Manning lineage has to play into that. You know, when you when you see him and see what his family's done at that position. Yeah, I think it plays in too much. Um, you know, lineage is important only if they're really good prospects. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Arch Manning's a really good prospect. Uh, I'm not devaluing him in any way, shape, or form. I think when you talk about his film and his body of work and, you know, his tremendous freshman season and sort of a little of a plateau over the last two seasons, a struggle in a playoff game when competition got a little bit higher. You know, there's concerns there as to is this the number one player in the country? Is this a five-star? Is this the best quarterback? Uh, you know, is this guy better than Trevor Lawrence? Joe um, Montana had a kid who played quarterback. Lineage played no part in it. Uh, he was invited to an all-star game, a high school All-American all-star game because of his last name, but he was not good. 
just wasn't. Um, and that's just the way it is. I mean, I'm not saying Arch isn't good. Arch is good. There's no doubt. Um, lineage, probably in this case, since Eli and, and, and Peyton and Archie, um, the first family of football, it's probably worth half a star is my guess. Um, you know, so he's a solid four-star player, probably a high-level four-star player in the top 100 in the country. Um, but he's got to be a player. And, and that's why I say, you know, Montana's kid, no offense to him, wasn't a good player. Um, so the lineage factors only if you're good. How does he compare in your estimation to um, Tennessee's recruiting home run regarded by most people in Nico? Yeah, Nico is a little more polished. So Nico threw uh, one interception last season against pretty good competition out in California. Um, doesn't make mistakes. In fact, it's it's very interesting because he reminds me of Pendant Hooker. Um, you know, tall, thin kid coming out of high school can move, extend the play, but still raw. And, and we saw Hooker come from North Carolina, go to Virginia Tech. And yeah, there's ups and downs there, and then get into Heupel's, you know, quick decision offense and really blossom and not make mistakes. You know, three picks last season. That's who Nico reminds me of. So, I mean, it's a great fit for him, um, you know, and, and when I see a kid like that is so efficient at the high school level, you know, completion percentage, efficiency, turnovers, all that factors into evaluating quarterbacks. You want them to be smart. You want them to be able to go through progressions, but you also want them to not have this arrogance about themselves and their arm that they can fit the ball anywhere. And, and Nico is very smart. Um, I think he's a little overrated as well. Um, I'm not sure if he's a five-star, uh, but I'm very picky about that. And, and this quarterback class is so good that I, I'm, I'm being very critical. I think of this class more than I have in, in any other class, probably even, even before the Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and JT Daniels class. Mike Farrell is with us. MikeFarrellSports.com is the website. Looking specifically at Tennessee, they've got one of the top classes uh, in college football right now. They also have 18 commitments, so they're way ahead of other teams in terms of, of number of commitments. But we've seen what Josh Heupel can do offensively, and they've got some nice offensive pieces in this class. But defensively is where they're going to have to improve. Do, do you like what Josh Heupel and his staff have done so far defensively? with this class and addressing the needs they have? Yeah, I think three of their, maybe four of their top six recruits are defensive recruits, and that's important. Um, you know, when you look at Nico, of course, you expect a quarterback to want to play in this offense. You expect wide receivers to want to play in this offense. It's fun. It's wide open. You're going to put up numbers. Uh, but, you know, when you get a, an elite, you know, pass rushing defensive end from Missouri, uh, a defensive back from Alabama, you, you know, an in-state kid at linebacker, a Georgia kid at linebacker, and on and on and on. You're building out that defense. Um, now, that doesn't mean things are going to be great. I mean, Butch Jones had tremendous recruiting classes and success. You have to develop them as well. So what we've seen on the offensive side of things is Heifel can develop, and we're going to see if on the defensive side of things they can as well. If they can do those two things, they're going to be dangerous in the SST East, but doing those two things is something nobody at Tennessee has done in a long, long time. 
there's obviously a lot we need to see with Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame in terms of his head coaching ability, but it looks like he can recruit. Mike, do you think this is uh, something that's going to sustain itself at Notre Dame where they're recruiting at this level with Freeman as head coach? If he wins, yes. Um, you know, Brian Kelly had talked about getting top five recruiting classes at Notre Dame and, and the struggle of doing that with the academic restrictions. And, and I, I believed him and bought into that, and I still do. Um, you know, Freeman's got what looks like a top five class when all shakes out. I mean, we still have Alabama's and Georgia's and LSU's and, and a lot of big-time programs that have yet to come close to filling their classes or even get to the numbers of some other schools. But he's off to the best start since I've been doing this for 25 years as a Notre Dame coach, and that's saying something. The problem he has is that Brian Kelly's a lot to live up to on the field. I mean, he's got two playoff performance, uh, two playoff appearances and a national championship appearance. So if Notre Dame is an eight win football team under Marcus Freeman, recruiting is going to dip. If they're a 10 or 11 win team, then I, I mean, he's got, he, he has a chance to win a national title. That's how good a recruiter he is. Um, it's really going to come down to the results on the field and, and if kids buy into the results rather than right now, it's all speculation. It's like we're, I'm all one uh, I'm going to recruit you to Notre Dame. We're going to win national titles. Um, you know, if you're eight and four or if you're 16 and eight heading into year three, it's a different pitch. How do you rate what has or has not gone on at Florida under Billy Napier? I would rate it as ridiculous. Uh, I think the fans and the boosters are just insane. I think that the guy's been on the job for six months and they're already complaining about his recruiting ability. And, you know, I mean, this is what, this is what the problem I foresaw at Florida when they hired Billy Napier. Um, Dan Mullen was hired. He was a coach at Florida under Urban Meyer. He had success in the SEC at Mississippi State. Um, he went to an SEC championship game and halfway through the next season, he was gone. They wanted him out. Uh, there's, there's really a tremendous impatience in Gainesville for the success that Spurrier and Urban Meyer had. Um, Billy Napier is going to have to take time because Dan Mullen didn't really want to recruit. And before him, Jim McElwain was over his head. So you've got years and years of, of, you know, recruiting reparations to make and already six months on the job, the guy's being, you know, he's, he's had to do a, you know, a, a, a statement to the, the, the fans. All is well. I mean, you're, you haven't even coached a game and you got to do that. So I'm worried about the patience at Florida because I think Napier can get the job done, but he's going to need more time. You know, uh, file this under pleasant surprise in terms of what I expected when this hire was made and, and what's actually happened. And that's Sam Pittman at Arkansas, who I think's done as, as good of a job as anyone at establishing a culture and a fit and a personality of what his program's going to be in a specific part of the country and succeeding under those, under the construct of what he wants Arkansas to be. And I look up and down the top 10 or 15 in national recruiting, Mike, and I see Arkansas as kind of the outlier when you look at some historic success in recruiting and, and wins with some of these other programs. What do you make of the job he's done in Fayetteville? Uh, it's, you know, I, I did a list on uh, social media of the top five hires, you know, since 
in the last five years. I wanted to do it since Kirby Smart because Kirby Smart is the layup answer, obviously winning a national championship. So uh, he's number one for me, and, and that's ahead of Dave Aranda at Baylor. It's ahead of Ryan Day. It's ahead of Lane Kiffin. Um, it, it just what he's done there is astonishing, surprising to me. I mean, this is a guy who was not a not a head coach before, but also not a coordinator before. Going into an absolute mess, you know, back to back two and ten seasons, just such disarray. And he entered in a COVID year where they gave him a really really bad draw in an all SEC schedule, and he went three and seven, but he was competitive in those games. You know, probably got robbed of one or two victories, and then nine wins in the SEC West. It's just amazing. It's the second best job I've ever seen. And again, we're only two years into it, so they could regress and you just don't know what's going to happen. But Matt Rule saving Baylor uh, from their disaster was number one. And, and Sam Pittman so far is number two when it comes to anybody can win at Ohio State. Anybody can win at you know, some of these power programs. Uh, Doing it at a program where they need help and they're on life support is just impressive to me. What is the level of impossible right now for Brian Harson at Auburn? When you look at their recruiting, when you look at what he's facing, where there was an internal coup to get rid of him this past offseason, he survived that. But, Mike, how difficult is it for him now to, to move forward and have – whatever level of success is needed at Auburn to get the people that were wanting him gone this past off season to back off. It's, it's really hard. I mean, when you, when you do have a coup and you try to get rid of somebody and you don't succeed, you've left that person with no opportunity to succeed. Um, you've really shot yourself in the foot. So now all the boosters slapping them on the back and saying, yeah, you're our guy. Well, they don't understand the, the, the difficulties they've, put in front of them recruiting because every team is in the ear of the kid who's looking at Auburn saying he's not going to be there. Look at what they tried to do after year one. Um, they've got four commitments. It's not a strong, you know, start. They're, they're four quality commitments, uh, you know, but it, it's not like kids are lining up to commit to Auburn and, and that's because of this situation. So, you know, they really, really put them, in a bad situation. And honestly, I, I just, let's say he pulls a surprise, right? Let's say he wins the SEC West or, or gets down to the wire where the Iron Bowl is, is the factor. Well, then he's going to have better opportunities and he's going to leave. I would, I would leave in a second. And, and let's say he doesn't have success. Let's say he goes seven and five or, or six and six, they're, they're going to want him out again. So they put themselves in a position where I just don't think they're, they got a coach that's going to be there. And that's really, really hard in recruiting. Mike Farrell has been our guest at M Farrell sports on Twitter is how you can follow him. Mike Farrell sports.com is the website. Mike, this has been fun. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Thank you. Any, anytime. And when we come back, uh, a story that ties perfectly into college football recruiting and the links that programs will go to ensure their future. Uh, with recruits and now looking around to ensure their future within whatever conference they choose to be. And that's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talking with Mike Farrell, it is crazy to think about the fact that Dan Mullen was in the SEC championship game one season and midway through the next season, he was fired. This is Outkick 360. We are live in our Outkick studios, 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville, with Old Smoky Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer. Yeah. Things change quickly uh, in Gainesville, that, that is for sure. Mike Farrell, uh, I like his negativity. He's a very negative guy. He got into some hot water. Um, I don't remember what happened with him at Rivals, but I do remember having a back and forth with him at one point because he like stupidly posted something about Trey Smith when he went in the fifth or sixth round to the Chiefs saying, aha, Tennessee fans, you complained to me about, about me not giving a fifth star. Well, here's the proof that he's not a five-star prospect. Completely ignoring the fact that he got diagnosed with blood clots in his lungs and he played at close to an All-American level at Tennessee and he fell in the draft for that reason, not because of his evaluation. Well, he also... Uh, I, 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 I do remember that. After his stuff about Arch um, made it to social media, a ton of people reposted a tweet that he had up when he was at Rivals saying that the Patrick Mahomes pick by the Kansas City Chiefs was a big mistake, that he's too much of a freelancer. But listen, the thing is, if you're a guy in that, in that role, you can, you're going to have You're built misses. for cold takes. Yeah, it's a, it's a built for cold take role, and and Mike Farrell has done this for a long time, and I don't I don't say this to poke fun at him. We all get things wrong. We all you know tweet out stupid things at times. But you're right, Paul. If you are some sort of of talent evaluator, prognosticator, you can cold take that to death. Yes. When it comes to college prospects, you know NFL prospects, whatever you want to say, you're you're right about that. Spot on. Uh, speaking of prospects, prospects are looking up at Texas Tech. They recently announced a $200 million project. It's going to get underway after the regular season ends this year. It is going to be a new four-story south end zone building that will completely enclose their stadium and connect it to their football center. So they're calling it the largest contiguous football facility in America when you combine football stadium that is now connected to their football facility, their practice facility, their complex. Uh, this all going on in Lubbock at Texas Tech. Joey McGuire has come in, longtime Texas high school football coach, legendary in Texas high school football. They're recruiting. Uh, they have a top 15 class currently at, ten at Texas Tech, recruiting at a high level. Paul, I think this is smart, not just for the future of their football program in that state, but with so much instability and uncertainty out there, you want to position yourself as Texas Tech to be in the right spot when the dominoes start to fall again. I'm looking up here. I found a, a story with recruits ranking the best um, facilities, but I, I don't think this poll had much. I got Oregon 1, um, Georgia 2, Notre Dame 3. Didn't Notre Dame have marginal facilities? They've recently upgraded, I believe, at Notre Dame. Alabama four, Ohio State five. I mean, this is a predictable list. Clemson six, Michigan seven, 
LSU tied at eight with Oklahoma, uh, all predictable schools. So I, I'm surprised Northwestern isn't on here because I've heard that Northwestern and I've seen pictures of it. It was a, a phenomenal uh, development that they put together. It's got together a great lake view right on the, from their uh, right facility. On the, yeah. Right on the lake. Yeah, Joey McGuire, Texas Tech, says, what we're talking about is a game changer, not only conference-wise. This is nationally a game changer. I've been to a lot of places seen a lot of different facilities. We have an opportunity to be as good or better than anybody in the nation, and I'm really excited about it. Texas Tech has had a really good men's basketball program, great success in recent years. Football has had great success in the past. I mean, why not roll the dice, spend some money, invest, and see where this thing goes? It's a chicken and the egg thing to me. You know, Do you, do you expand your facilities and have uh, first-rate facilities and then, then win, or do you win – um, you know, and, and win your way to, to great facilities. I, I grew up close to Rutgers, 10 miles from Rutgers. There's always a conversation about ex- expanding Rutgers Stadium. And I was always on the side of, well, why don't you win some games first to create a, a bigger stadium that people will actually go to? Expanding the stadium isn't going to expand the program. Winning is going to expand the program. And I don't think they ever did expand it. Um, and they've never gotten good. Well, and it's again, it's 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 always the chicken to me, simply because to win you need players, and you have to sell players on facilities at times. So anywhere has to look at it that way. I think this is more though, Paul. They bring in Joey McGuire, who was a dominant recruiting force at Baylor, where he came from before. He did a great job at Texas Tech, but he spent years and years as a high school football coach, Cedar Hill, Texas, won state titles there. Goes to Baylor as a tight ends coach, then associate head coach. Is their lead recruiter when they get things rolling. So Texas Tech brings him in. Never been a college football head coach before. I think they're listening to Joey McGuire about what high school programs want, high school kids in the state of Texas want and need, and they're listening to him and taking his cue. And because of it, they're getting this. Good luck to him. Which is not a bad thing at all. So we'll see where it goes. But again, don't stand pat. If you're a college football program and you've been mediocre to below, I think the lesson is here, you've, you've got to invest to make sure you're in the perfect possible spot. We're in the perfect spot. Why? Because our guy, John McClain, is going to talk NFL with us when we come back, and there is plenty to discuss. John McClain is next.